This is Lightning Power Lunch with Dave Mishkin and Greg Linelli on Lightning Radio. Yeah, I mean, it's it's practice, but it's good, you know. A lot of times you want to get the puck on their stick and uh, let them make the play. I think I'm just a guy who's going to work hard and try and get that to them. Yeah, but we'll see what happens. Just practice. We'll see moving forward. Feeling good. You know, me and Sergey uh, had a little bit of chemistry at the end of the season last year, and uh, I think we kind of just picked up where we left off and, you know, just got to continue what we've been doing and, and uh, you know, just work hard and try to complement each other. Uh, yeah, the rookie lap, I actually, I, I knew it was a thing, but I just didn't remember that. And then Stammer was like, yeah, you're up. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is so cool. Like, I, I think that's a pretty awesome tradition for sure. And uh, thankfully, I was the only rookie, so you can do it by, by myself. How about it? Got the lightning coming into our show at Bolts Radio. Feels like a Friday, but it's a Thursday. Mm-hmm. Is it because the Lightning don't play till the weekend? I don't. I know. think everything is a little off because we had this three-day. Can I call it a break? I mean, it's not really a break. The team practiced yesterday. Like We're on every day, so it's not a break for us. And then tomorrow is a travel day, so we will be pre-taping tomorrow. For those listeners who like to to listen at noon. I've talked to a lot of people, Greg. They they tell me they listen on demand, Ooh. like on the drive home. Yeah. So you can catch us 12 to 1. You can catch us after 12 to 1. Lots of ways to hear Power We Lunch. own that station. But we'll be we'll be creating the magic tomorrow prior to noon because i got to get to the airport. You've got to fly. First time I'm – actually, I shouldn't say first time I'm packing in a while because we did take a family trip this summer. That required more packing than what I usually do for lightning road trips. But I got to get back in the groove for lightning road trips because the worst feeling, Greg, we've done enough traveling that you know this, is when you think you've packed everything and then you're like on the way to the airport or actually in the air and you realize you forgot something. Do you do a checklist? Not quite like home alone, but still. Understood. Do you do a checklist? I probably should. I, I don't do a checklist. Look, I make sure that I have my computer so I can do power lunch and the gear because I do that from the road. Got to bring the toiletries, right? So you can brush your teeth. And, I would think, right? Yeah. Although that's something you could get if you forget it. When when we're going to Canada and this trip does include a trip across the border, you have to have your passport. That's something Ryan Bellick, who handles the travel... Like, he emphasizes that. Remember to bring your passport. They check your passport when you're getting on the plane in Tampa, not to ensure that you're able to, I mean, I guess it is to ensure that you're able to cross the border, but it's more like, did you remember your passport? Show it to me. So they they try and make sure all the, the bases are covered, so to speak. Well, I got off topic there, didn't I? Anybody else just a little foggy today with all of the... There's that, and maybe it's just the the three days in between game one and game two. There are a bunch of teams that haven't yet played. That's true. There were six that played on Tuesday, including the Lightning. One of those six, Chicago, played last night. So I think there were six games last night. So 11 teams made their debut last night. So 11 plus six is 17. That leaves 15 teams that have yet to play a game. Yeah. Hard, Hard to believe. We're going to ask Nick Alberga this question. To the extent that they were planning a parade in Edmonton before mm-hmm. the season started, 
And why wouldn't they, right? I mean, they have maybe the two best offensive players in the game, and they have gone deep in the playoffs the last couple of years. Yeah. Have those plans been shredded? Did you see the score last night? They lost 8-1 to one in Vancouver. Terrible. That's not... That's not having a flat opening night like the Lightning did last year against the Rangers, and we talked about that on yesterday's show. That, to me, is is enough to send up some warning signals. If you're coming out of the gates, start of a season in which you were expected to be a top team, and you lose to, let's face it, a team that is considered your inferior, even though you're on the road, and you don't just lose. You lose 8-1. to one, that would that would signal some alarm bells for me. You and I, I think, are are cut from the same cloth this way. We tend not to overreact to one regular season game. Why would you? There are eighty two of them, right? That is true. But I don't know for for an opener to get blown out that way. Did that's I? That's not a good sign for Edmonton. No, I mean. I mean, how do you feel about that? You're Mr. I don't overreact to yeah. a regular season game. I mean, you know what it is? It's, it's but, a talking point. It's something they're going to have to answer to over the How do you lose 8-1 on opening night? I, you don't defend. I, I didn't watch the game. I, I didn't watch what, it either. I just saw the like, box score thing, this like, morning. What were the goals like? You know, how bad were yeah. they? Brock and Besser at four this, goals. And listen, I've told you this, and you know this, but I think it's worth reiterating if we want to be consistent. Those first games can be weird. They can be weird. They can you be did really say that weird. yesterday. And so maybe, you know, do I think that's going to be a product of Edmonton moving forward? I mean, I don't think they're ever going to be confused with being a great defensive team, but I, I don't think they're going to be that bad. Mm-hmm. I think you almost have to. There's kind of a there's like a lot of benchmarks each year, each season and each month or so. You give a team a couple of weeks, kind of see where they are. To start the season. Then by Thanksgiving, maybe you get a better feel for what this team's going to be. Then you kind of get to January. Maybe you have even a better feel. Then the trade deadline. How do you incorporate new players into your system? Mm -hmm. How are you dealing with injuries? So there's there's different layers to the season. I think this is the very first one. And then maybe you get a a better indication of what your team's going to look like in a couple of weeks. Well, that for sure is the case. And it is just one game for Edmonton, just like for all the other teams that that lost their opener and they have a chance to come back in the next game, whenever that is for Edmonton, which I can probably look up as we're, as we're talking here. I'm not sure I would want to be the next opponent if this was kind of a one-off type game. But I'm just looking at the let's box see when Edmonton plays here. next. Edmonton Oilers. Sam Lafferty. They got to they got to sit on this for 3 days. Yeah. Home Vancouver Saturday. So look, they will have a chance to serve up a rather cold dish when they have their home opener on Saturday against the Canucks. I didn't even realize Casey DeSmith got into that game. Demko you know took the um had he the win. He got the win, right. Demko yeah. got the win, and then they put DeSmith in there. So I don't know if there was an injury. And maybe they were just like, it's 8-1. Yeah. Let's get them how, how I mean, if there. you're up big, why would you change goals? But you never see that, though, right? Yeah. I mean, you never see that in, in right. hockey, even if you're well, up. Well, and, and Jack Campbell, who 
let's face it, he didn't have a great year last year He's in his first year in Edmonton. I mean, he was the starter. Yeah. yeah. That that's a shame on his end because he's been just it's been a struggle. I don't, I don't know what to make of that. The other thing that was interesting that I noticed yesterday, I knew Pierre Luc Dubois had been traded to the Kings from the Jets. Both the Jets and Kings lost last night. Jets lost to Calgary. It was a tied game late. They gave up the winning goal. And the Kings lost at home to Colorado. And I, look, I do think Colorado is going to have a very good year. I think the Avs may be the class of the West. I mean, we'll see how that plays out. They showed it last night. McKinnon scored. I mean, they they had a good game. Ran yeah. and scored. I didn't realize, because I hadn't looked at the trade, who went to Winnipeg, back to Winnipeg, for Dubois. The Jets acquired Alex Iafalo. He is a good player. Yeah. He's a really good player. And they got Gabe Velarde who was one of the Kings up and coming stud prospects last year. He scored against the lightning. Mm -hmm. He is a prototypical power forward who can shoot. They got some pretty good guys back. They also got Rasmus Kupari, who was kind of a fourth line winger. We'll see. We'll see how he does. Velarde played over 21 minutes last night. I think they're going to lean on him a lot. Wow. So, in other words, for Dubois, who, look, a lot of people put him in a, like, high-end forward category. I understand that. If he didn't want to be in Winnipeg, I think the Jets did pretty well in terms yeah. of the return they got for that trade. Correct. And what is that going to do for the Kings, who have been a playoff team the last couple of years? Like, I like their mix Past tense. Like, I haven't yeah. seen them this year, so I don't know. But That's what fair. will that do to the apple cart we talk about? Yeah. Dubois is on what now? His third NHL team, and he has been disgruntled in each of the previous two. Coming back to the player at this point? You know, like, what's... Well, not for the Kings. I mean, the Kings acquired him, so... No, but I think anytime you have talent like that, you're always going to get a chance, but... You know, if if you keep being unproductive or quote unquote unhappy, that's the word. Yeah. What's what's the problem? I think eventually you may have to look at yourself and say, okay, so what am I not doing? Because now it's becoming a trend, and you don't want that. You're always going to get a look in sports if you've got talent. Pedigree helps. I mean, look at mm -hmm. Tony D'Angelo, right? Yep. I mean. Hockey's not the only league. On most occasions, if you've got personal baggage, teams are going to look past it. Whether it's drafting, whether it's signing somebody as a free agent or trading for that player, it's, and I don't know what that says about our society, it's, it's probably a very frank assessment that if people perform you will find a way to bring that person into the organization in some capacity. Now, maybe the life shelf isn't going to be long, mm -hmm. but I think you're always willing to gamble. And I, that's, yeah, that that's is tough. true. I mean, 
So it's interesting. D'Angelo was in Carolina, left, and then came back. So when when that happens, you're right. There's always seemingly a team willing to give somebody a look if there's talent there. It's a little more unusual to see a player with a team leave that team. Then you're kind of like, you get the sense the team is saying good riddance, and then the, the team brings that player back. And I can't remember, to be perfectly honest, the circumstances around the D'Angelo departure last year when he went to Philadelphia. Maybe the fact that they acquired Brent Burns or brought on Brent Burns had something to do with that. Acquired Brent Burns. They had the the right-handed defenseman that was going to play a lot, play on their power play. Maybe that had something to do with it, and it was less about kind of the reputation of the player. But it's not like the Flyers wanted to keep him after last year. It's always a, a conundrum with teams. You want to win. You want to win with a certain group of players, but sometimes that just doesn't happen, and you have mm-hmm. to go beyond a, a little bit more when it comes to uh, fielding a, a good roster. And By the way, I'm looking at the Colorado-LA box score. So the big boys for Colorado led the way, as you probably would expect. Randon had four points. McKinnon had three points. They both scored. McCarr had a goal and an assist. So to the extent, what did I say yesterday? The the top guys on Colorado are probably going to be the ones to lead the way for them, and then they'll have their complementary players fill in because their team is different than the one that won the Stanley Cup a couple of years ago. But when you look at their roster this year, you do see some of the new names, one of which is Ross Colton, of course. The the Avs acquired him from the Lightning. But the first goal of the game, here's how it read. McKinnon from Rantanen and Jonathan Druin. Mm. Did you remember that Druin was on Colorado? You know what? That slipped my mind. Yeah. And so if I don't know if they play together as a line, but McKinnon and Druin were junior teammates. So there is a lot of familiarity between the two of them, and this may be just the fresh start that Jonathan Druin needs. He has had a tough time of it, and that's putting it mildly in terms of not just kind of how his career on the ice has gone, but just everything around it, like I said, injury problems and being in Montreal and everything that that comes with that for a French-Canadian-born player. Now he's back with his buddy, right, his junior buddy, and maybe it'll maybe it'll be a great ad for them. They also brought in Ryan Johansson. You know, Colorado. I, did. I've always liked him. I, I don't yeah. know if he was ever a number one. Well, he doesn't have there. to be with. Yeah, McKinnon he doesn't have to be now, which might be yeah in his favor. He's going to play power play though. I'm looking at the power play. So this is how you can tell like who played on the top power play for Colorado. So like Ross Colton can score in the power play, right? But with the Lightning, he was on power play two, which usually, if they got out there at all, they didn't get out there for very long. So Colorado, it's going to be the same deal. So Colton clearly is on power play two. He played 37 seconds on the power play last night. But here are the five guys who played the most. So they are the ones who are on the top unit. McCarr, Rantanen, McKinnon, Arturi Lekkinen, who has been part of that unit, and Johansson. Johansson played the second most on the power play, almost four minutes 
last night. So you put a guy like yeah. that in a position on the power play with, I mean, let's be honest, McKinnon, McCarr, you want to throw in Rantanen. I mean, those may be three of the most skilled players in the NHL. Sure. Like, that's a very good spot for Johansson to you be should in. Just, you should pick up when you put him on the power out play. of bed. Yeah. Those two guys, you know. He went 12 and 6 on faceoffs. So I have a feeling, I mean, McKinnon took a lot too, but McKinnon has never been a top faceoff guy. Johansson has. So maybe he's out there to win the faceoff to start the power play. Yeah. And and basically, just recapping what I was, was saying about him, I, there was always pressure for him to be the number one guy. Yeah. In Nashville. I, and I just never thought he was. That doesn't mean he's not a really good player. He is. And Columbus before yeah. that. And you know, Jonathan Drew, you probably could say the same thing for him too with the expectations coming in which is why Montreal traded for him in the first place. But you've got a lot of talent down the middle if you want to go that route mm -hmm. behind their big boys, you know, depending on play things out. And Jonathan Drew, I think, was always a really good playmaker. Yeah, it's interesting he's you know? not on the top unit, you at know? least in the first game. He was on the second unit. He played 23 seconds on the power play. He's a really good distributor of the puck. Really good, you yes. Know, the year, was that the year they didn't make the playoffs? He really was awesome. You know, where he... He kind of took the bull by the horn, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And he was dynamic on the power play. The Canadians have some good players. They do. Nick Suzuki is a really good player. And Cole Caulfield had some injury problems last year. There's no question that he is extremely talented. But on the Canadians, Druden didn't have the game breakers. And I use that term a lot because I think that separates good players from the top, top-end players. You put Jonathan Druin on a team with game breakers, and he had them with the Lightning, that could be a very good fit for him. So maybe I'm reassessing yeah. my feeling about Colorado. <laughs> Looking at their roster, yeah. the guys they've had, the fact that they had a long offseason, too. They went out in the first round last year, shockingly, but they did. What were Colton's minutes again? You happen to look at him? Yeah, so he played 13-43, so probably in a bottom six role. Took a lot of face-offs, didn't particularly excel in that in that one game. He was at 40%. He had an assist on an empty net goal. Scored by Miles Wood. They got him from the Devils. Nice. That's a guy that you and I have always liked, but he has had a hard time staying healthy. He's had injuries, but he plays, yes. at least when he was really rolling, I like to say, he he plays angry. Yeah, he does. <laughs> you know, very emotional. Power forward. It's a tough way to make a living. Guys just get beat up. And he's one of those guys. But I, I've always liked him. I always thought he had yeah. a lot of good sneaky ability. So and on the other side, in case you're wondering, Dubois, who made his L.A. debut... No points, minus two, which he was probably out for the empty net or against... He played over six minutes on the power play. Mm. And the Kings did not score a power play goal. Basil says, my understanding is that Demko was suffering from the flu. The flu. And okay. was, was throwing up in his mask. So they took Ooh. him out of the game. <laughs> Basil must have. I don't know if Basil <laughs> does his homework or Basil stayed up late. Uh, probably a little both. Basil's in Ohio, though, so, I mean, it's not like he he's he's out in the Pacific time zone either. Maybe he was traveling. Maybe. Jay says, let me scroll here, 
Glenn Denning, despite slowing down and getting older, still plays the game with an edge. It isn't afraid of being physical. I always like hockey players who play the game with the football mentality. Glenn Denning was a great high school running back fullback in Michigan. It's a great oh, that's a good scoop. Bet. I didn't, I didn't know really that. Good. I knew he played hockey at the University of Michigan. I was reading a quote from Jeff Blaschel, who coached him in Detroit and also coached him in Grand Rapids. So a little history here. Glenn Denning was a member of the Grand Rapids team, AHL team, that played Syracuse, the Lightning's affiliate, in the 2013 Calder Cup Finals. And Glenn Denning and the Grand Rapids team beat Syracuse. Mm. So the next year was, I think it was the next year, was his first year up full-time in the NHL. So Blaschel knows him really well. And what Blaschel was saying was, when he got to the pro game, his faceoff prowess was not very good, which is shocking to think about, right? And he just worked and worked and worked at it and elevated himself to the point that he became a top faceoff guy in the AHL. And his first year in the NHL, and I had a conversation with him during camp, I said, forgive me, I haven't looked this up, but like, you know, have you always been in like the mid to high 50s? He's like, absolutely not. My first year in Detroit, I was, I was in the 40s. And so later I looked it up, and he, and he was telling the truth. He he only stayed in the 40s that one year. By the second year, he was he was above 50%, but not at like 58, 59%. I mean, it was, it was a quick improvement to get good, and then it was more of a gradual to become one of the so, top guys in the NHL. But Blaschel said the same thing. Like, he just worked at it. So he became a top guy in the AHL, and then he got to the NHL. He worked at it. He became a top guy – he became good, and then he became a top guy on faceoffs in the NHL. And the comment that we had is absolutely right. Like, it's not just he's out there to win a faceoff. You know, he does play a committed, he honest, does. hard game. Physical, blocking shots. For sure. Going to the areas he needs to go to. He's a Tortorella-type player, isn't he? He kind of has that. Yeah. That mentality, you know, I'm going to block shots, leader, you know, that just immediately comes to mind. You know, it's interesting. We had this conversation about what makes a good face-off guy. And I know it's both is the answer. <laughs> but I always ask after that, which one's more? Is it is it more about individual style winning face-offs than it is your line mates coming in to win the 50-50? Because Glenn Denning says, look, I worked and worked at it. Yeah. I mean, we see guys working and working at it without their teammates converging and helping. So is it more of the technique? Yes. Is it the tendency? What is the technique? Because if <laughs> I it, mean, everybody knows a technique, Dave. I mean, yeah. it's not like you're doing anything differently. Is there probably there's also a timing? So for know, the very it? I would I would say this, Greg. For the very top guys, the number they take more. So they're going to be more, quote-unquote, 50-50 face-offs. The 50-50 face-offs, the centerman gets credit for the win and, and blame for the loss, if you want to look at it that way, but it's really not on him anymore because it's it's kind of like a push in cards, right, or a tie, and then it becomes a battle amongst the wingers. And sometimes the centerman can get in there too. There was a 50-50 in the game on Tuesday, and Glenn Denning was out there, it was a tie, and he stayed with it. And I can't remember if he used his skate or his stick, but he got possession of the puck. He kicked it back and hit the linesman and ricocheted to a Nashville player. That was probably a loss for him, even though he had a hand in the 50-50. But I think based on the fact that, you know, 
Bergeron, when, you know, consistent as can be, you know, up around 59, 60% or higher year in, year out. I'm looking at Kopitar. Like, Kopitar is really good. He won almost 70% last night. Again, one game. But, I mean, you look at him over the course of a a year and then years, right there at the top. Uh, Manny Malhotra has become an assistant coach, I think, in large part because he was so good on faceoffs, right, and, and was a weapon. So when you talked about technique, everybody – there's not one technique. I think there are lots of different ways to have success at faceoffs. Some guys on their weak side try and win it on their forehand. I asked Glenn Denning about that, and he's like, I don't. You know, I, I try and, whether I'm on my strong side or weak side, I try and, I mean, he's like, sometimes I'll adjust. But more like Crosby, for example. Crosby will try and win faceoffs on his forehand when he's on his weak side. That's his choice. He's very good at it. Other guys who are very good utilize different kind of strategy Bergeron did the same thing every time to the point I remember talking to some of the lightning centermen like who had to face off against him like what makes him so good and it's just like he's he's incredibly consistent but he doesn't change a thing which it's almost like the Lombardi philosophy with the Packers right like we're gonna run it try and stop us almost and I mean Bergeron still would lose four out of every Ten, but he didn't really adjust. I've never talked to him about it. He's never been on a team that that I've covered. But just watching him, he tried to win faceoffs the exact same way. But that didn't mean that he didn't have sound technique. But there was a choice there that he made because it worked best for him. So this is a long-winded answer to your to your question or your supposition, which is, I think it's more on the centerman, but. The difference maybe, and maybe we round up or down a full percentage, which is a lot. That comes down to those 50-50s. But somebody who's good on face-offs isn't going to be below 50% because his teammates are not helping him on the 50-50 face-offs. That's probably how I would answer it. Somebody good on face-offs is going to be above 50%. And the 50-50s tend to wash themselves out. True. It's just always interesting the different specialists that have different styles. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned Crosby. A lot of times he'll just, you know, rip it on his off, his offhand, maybe with his forehand if he can, you know, or if somebody just pulls it back. I feel like Bergeron just didn't move. He didn't. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like he, he did the just, same thing. I And you have to find a way to beat me. I also think timing with the linesman is a big deal. Yes. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. And look, some guys just have great hand-eye coordination. I mean, there's that part of it, too. You're getting your stick on the puck before the next guy or the other guy, your opponent. For sure. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you can. Nick Alberga will be joining us here. He's the host of Leafs Morning take and co-host of the nhl fantasy on ice podcast he'll be joining us great lightning in, have the uh, couple of minutes. day off today by the way so that's not yeah. why we're not really talking too much about what's happening with the lightning although we did get some news from jeff blashell who met with the media yesterday and that was they didn't have an update a definitive update on bot there was an update that we didn't get an update <laughs> the update was <laughs> uh, we're waiting for more information that's it perfect so hopefully it's nothing it's nothing serious, but again, if you're going to have some of these injuries, 
that aren't season ending have them at the beginning. You know, then mm-hmm. later on when you're pushing for the playoffs, you want yeah. these guys ready to go. Uh, if you want to break that all down, you know, it is going to be interesting. I, I do want to talk to Nick about the Lightning's division. Because I feel like a lot of people think the Lightning's division may be the toughest, maybe the most competitive, but it's almost kind of like, yeah, but the Lightning have, have lost a couple of miles per hour on their fastball. Not in spite of them in some ways, but I feel like, you know, that's the that's easy, just where we are. That's the easy narrative, Greg. You look at the players that have left. Is it easy or lazy? Well... You can say lazy. The, the, I, I, I wouldn't okay say lazy because the people who maybe are saying that are more national people, and they've got 32 teams to pay attention to. So they're taking a look at what's going on with the Lightning, and let's let's look at what's going on with the Lightning. Over the last couple of years, look at all the free agents they've lost. I mean, we're going to go back to the, the Gord Goodrow Coleman time, fine, but even more recently, since their trip to the Stanley Cup final against Colorado, Ryan McDonough. Andre Palat, Alex Kalorn, Ross Colton, Pat Maroon, Belmar and and Perry, certainly part of that as well. And now you factor in the Vasilevsky injury. And you look at the fact that the Atlantic division is getting stronger. So I wouldn't say it's lazy, but I think that you can make some conclusions or reach some conclusions based on that information. I think what they are overlooking is, and this maybe is lazy, look at the average age of the Lightning's top players. They're not in their late 30s. That's when windows start to close, when the tread starts coming off the tire for your top guys, and you don't have anyone coming down the pike to either support them or replace them. And that day is way down the road for the Lightning. And then I also think you have to factor in the fact that, you know, the longer offseason will help them. I think the Lightning ran into trouble, and it's hard to say they ran into trouble in the playoffs over the last several years. Because I thought they outplayed Toronto in the series they lost last year. So they didn't lose that series because they played subpar hockey. The subpar hockey that we have seen from them, to the extent we have seen it, has been in the last couple of regular seasons for for stretches. They've been good enough to get into the playoffs. And why is that, Greg? I think it has everything to do with the mental side of it. Because when they want to get dialed in, they do it. So now they're mentally fresh. Yes, you know, they've, they've had some turnover, but... Kucherov's still here. Point's still here. Stamkos, Hedman, Sergachev, Sorelli, Hagel, Vassy after the first two months. I think a lot of teams would would line up to take those players on their team. Yeah, I would agree. And I think you mentioned the mental break. I think that's the biggest thing. Physically, the guys are all in great shape. I, I know that their body takes a beating and you can make a case, you know, was were, were certain players at the end of last year dealing with something that, you know, maybe we found out later they, they were dealing with. That happens all the time. But I, I do think there is this mental, I don't want to say anxiety, but it, it can be mental overload 
when you go as far as they have over the last few years and you don't get a break. Mm-hmm. And now they had how many months? Yeah. Of just not dealing with that. I, I, I think it does. It, it does a reset for you. And I, I think they're going to be better for it where that transitions in terms of winning and how far they go. That remains to be seen. And just because some of these teams are projected to be better doesn't mean that they're actually going to be better. Yeah. They have to go out and show it. They're at a different kind of trajectory in terms of their franchise than where the Lightning are at. But it doesn't mean that it's less challenging. No. You got to learn how to win. Like, that's a thing you hear from players and coaches. Players that have been on losing teams have to learn how to win. And all of those teams that won lost. Yeah, so they, they did learn the lesson. Yeah, I think right? you probably have to do that. I mean, how many how many times, and again, take it outside of the sports arena, will people say, look, I had to fail before I made it? You know, especially entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. How many times did they fail, Dave, trying to start a business? The key is to not make the same mistakes. Learn from each failure. Lightning have done that. Now, look, last year they they ran out of gas, whatever, however you want to describe it, ran into a better team. But I think I think sometimes a reset and, okay, here we are. In a weird way, the focus should be even a little bit more because of Vassy being out. And I think it's going to force them yeah. to play a different type of style. So those are just some observations. I think we're still efforting to get Nick at Bolts Radio. Once we do, he will be with us. Uh, let me see here. I want to get to another question. Um, this one comes from Bob. Not the regular Bob, but a different Bob. He said, guys, what do you make of the Lightning special teams this year? Projection-wise, does it have a chance to be elite? Well, the power play has been elite. Yeah. So maybe he's talking about the penalty kill. Penalty kill is going to look a little different this year because I think we are going to be seeing Glenn Denning and Mott when he's able to play as a pair of the the two forwards. We also will see Sorelli and Hagel, and we've already seen them. Yeah, this year, and they did kill penalties last year. I think the PK, this notion that the Lightning want to limit the high danger chances, the middle of the ice looks, just reduce scoring chances, that is not just five on five. It is also related to the penalty kill. But we'll see. I like the fact that, and, and Mott has speed, like Hegel has speed. So Mott can be a threat shorthanded. In fact, he had some looks in the preseason shorthanded. But I love the fact that Hegel is thinking attack when he's killing a penalty. Well, and why wouldn't he? I think when you yeah. have that speed, you're going to create some chances. And I think that's what you want to eventually have with your PK. And obviously your goaltender is going to be a big part of that. And I think we do have our good friend. 
Nick Elberger. Nick, do you have us? Jens, how's it going? How Whoa. are you? Happy season. How about that? Boom. Buddy? Are you still on Zoom or did you Zoom away from that platform? <laughs> Teams now, apparently. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, yeah. he's host of Leafs Morning Take and co-host of the NHL Fantasy on Ice Podcast. And we always are appreciative of the time he takes out uh, of his day to talk hockey. Uh, what do you make of opening night? for a lot of teams we see a lot of crooked scores we see some discombobulated play i i kind of maintain it's not going to be the norm and it it, you just kind of throw it out the window do you do you buy that uh sort of i would say first and foremost great to be with you guys for a new season john cooper's as live as ever for the uh, jack adams award this year Uh, you know sort of stunning he's never won the award but i'm so curious to see how this team does without the big cat there but yeah, like that's pretty much par for the course, Greg, every season when it comes to def- defense in the first like month of October, it's like a train wreck. And, uh, you know, I've been tabulating the number six of the nine games I've hit, I've played to the over so far. So that seems to be a trend every season. So, I mean, you can't read too directly too much into what you see the first month of the season. I, I can't at least. Well, we brought up Edmonton in the first half hour of the show. So being from Canada, Nick, I will ask yeah. you, like, to mm-hmm. me, that is a little bit of an alarm bell situation. Not that they lost, not that they lost on the road in opening night, but to come into the season against a team that you, you figure to be better than in, in your division this year, when you have cup aspirations, and not just lose, but lose 8-1, to one, is it just one game or is this a little bit of a cause for concern that the Oilers came out of the gates as badly as they did? Yeah, I know uh, the conversation after the game was about how Thatcher Demko puked uh, in his mask, but I felt like the <laughs> Oilers puked all over themselves last night. Like what was that? Right. And I think the most fortunate thing for Edmonton is that they play the Canucks again in their home opener coming up on Saturday, where if you're into gambling and betting, I would hammer the Oilers. Uh, to answer your question, they're going to bounce back. Like this is what the good teams do. You guys have seen this for X amount of years in Tampa. You have a tough game, a tough outing where nothing goes your way. Uh, puck luck and just bad bounces and Vancouver just skated circles and laps around, around Edmonton. Good teams find a way to bounce back. So if I had to lean one way, I think the Oilers will find a way to bounce back on Saturday. But I, I don't think it's alarming. Again, it, it's it's just one piece of an 82-game pie in the grand scheme of things. Will they really remember this game like two weeks from now, a week from now? Probably not. Um, granted, maybe they will if it gets into a three, four, five-game losing skid to start the season. But when you have Connor McDavid, when you have Leon Dreisaitl, when you possess the depth the Oilers have, I think that story was more about Vancouver having a blistering start to the season than it was the Oilers just not really showing up. What elite teams do you think out there, at least to start the season, have the biggest question marks? The one you guys cover on a daily basis, boys. Like, I think they're elite, and this is taking nothing away from um, Jonas. How's he pronouncing the name? These Jonas Johansson. Jonas. Johansson? Yeah, Yo- okay, so Johansson. Okay, so silent J's around the table. Yes. So I don't even know. By the way, Nick, concern. I'm not quite sure why that even became a question because as long as I've heard him in the NHL and and yeah. and seen him in the NHL, it has been Jonas Johansson. But I did confirm with him. That's that's how he says his name. No, because I think it's interesting too, right? Because uh, you guys know I've traveled the world quite a bit. And if you head to Finland, they don't pronounce the J. And in Sweden, they do more times than not. And he's Swedish, no? 
he is Swedish. So, yeah, it's again, I'm, I'm glad I got it from, from your mouth because you call the games on a daily basis. Well, and sometimes but, they, yep. they switch too. like Marcus Johansson has done both, right? <laughs> Depends yeah, what well, team he's on. Well, Look at the Mahalics and the McCulloch's like one brother was going by McCulloch. The other was going by Mahalik, but I digress. Um, well, the problem uh, is still, Nick that they yeah. don't care, but we do. Cause we have to say the names, right? <laughs> exactly. it. And then they get offended when we, we say them wrong and I, I don't envy your job. I think it's a tough one. I can't stand those trolls on social media. I can't believe you pronounce it that way. I'm like, we're more often than not, you probably went to the source and that's how they wanted it to uh, pronounce. So there you have it. Um, to answer your question, I think Tampa has a lot of question marks because of losing Vasilevsky. What he's meant to that organization is a future Hall of Famer. Like, for my money, when healthy, the best goaltender still on the planet. Um, I thought they did a pretty good good job in the first game, granted, against a Nashville team who many don't expect to be good. But uh, Tampa showed up. The big boys were great. Um, I thought Johansson was as good enough as you need him to be. But still, this is a guy with a career 888 save percentage through, what, like 31 appearances. So, what you see is what you're going to get. Um, that's why I say John Cooper is very, very live for the Jack Adams trophy this season, but they got question marks. The Boston Bruins have question marks, losing Krejci and, and Bergeron up the middle and Taylor Hall is now with Chicago, even though he gets hurt last night. So those are the two teams I'm sort of looking at. Um, you know, there's not as much question marks, I think with like a Carolina or like a Colorado or like an Edmonton teams like that. But the, 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 the glaring ones, when you ask the question, I happen to be in the Atlantic. And aside from that, the Florida Panthers, if you want to call them a contender, cause they went to the cup final last year, they got some major injuries they're dealing with right now. For years and years, Nick, the NHL took some criticism for the fact that they didn't promote their top players maybe enough or as much as some of the other major leagues did. If that criticism was was fair, they have responded to it with Connor Bedard because at least mm-hmm. on this side of the border, it is Connor Bedard all the time, <laughs> even before yeah. he had played his first ever game. First of all, is that the case in Canada as well? And he is Canadian, so I would probably guess yes, but yeah. The second part of the question is, what do you make of that? What do you, what do you make of that strategy from the league? So, of course, we all saw the picture from the scrum the other day. Bedard makes his debut. If you thought that was something, just wait till Bedard rolls through Canada. Starting on Saturday, I believe he's going to be in Montreal and in Toronto on Monday. You know, I sort of chuckle with the NHL fantasy on ice team, Pete Jensen and Anadua, like the 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 Americans, and I don't mean this badly, but like they're late to the Bedard party. Like he has been a polarizing conversation in this country for like five years. I've known about Connor Bedard since he was 14, really put himself on the map with his world junior showing his, uh, his electric shot. Like he's NHL. He's so NHL ready. And it's scary. I, I think it's warranted because very seldom does a player of that ilk come around like the last being Austin Matthews and that generation or before that, obviously the goat of goats and, and Connor McDavid, like I do truly feel, and you watch him through two games, like you know why people have been talking about this guy for the last five years since he was 14. He's that good. And I couldn't agree more. Like I think the NHL did a really, really good job scheduling opening night, like a passing of the torch type atmosphere going from Crosby uh, to Bedard. I like the fact that Crosby flexed his muscles in that game. He scores a goal saying, hey, kid, I know you're great, but not just yet. Dummied him in the face-off circle. Like, that's how you start to build storylines and narratives. And to your point, like, the NHL has sort of gone away from that the last couple of years. But 
a lot's been made in this country specifically about Bedard's like crazy, crazy slate to start the season. But I think it was done for a reason, like taking nothing away from like a Minnesota that would have fell flat if it was like Chicago, Minnesota to start his career. They're running the gauntlet right now, you know, including Montreal, Hockey Night in Canada, Toronto. You got Boston in there. You got Pittsburgh in there. So I think the NHL has done a really, really good job with that. I think rightfully so. Very seldom again do you see a player of this stature come through the NHL world. Nick Alberga joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Radio. And you mentioned Sidney Crosby, and we were talking about this, you know, a couple of days ago. And you bring in a guy like Carlson on the back end. They change their bottom six. I actually think the Penguins have to be in the top 10 in both their PK and power play if they want to make the playoffs this year. What's your take on where Pittsburgh is and Kyle Dubas in general? Because you've had a lot of familiarity with him. Yeah, I don't want to be harsh. I think he's a fraud. <laughs> I don't know. You think I, Dubas is a fraud? Yeah. Well, in Toronto, it just his plan was never going to work. So now I'm curious to see what happens. He's doubled down yet again. He goes and grabs an Eric Carlson who's in the twilight of his – well, not I wouldn't say the twilight. He's coming off an Norris Trophy. But, like, they're going to fall flat in their face like L.A. did, like Chicago did. It's been a lengthy, lengthy run under Sidney Crosby. I couldn't believe Chris Letang's been on that roster for 18 years, boys. I still think they got some major league question marks depth-wise, defensively, and in between the pipes to be considered a serious contender. Um, Tristan Jari had a great opening night, but again, they, they lost to the Chicago Blackhawks who are a team that are not expected to be good this year. Um, and I think it's fair to have some criticisms of Kyle Dubas in Toronto as well. And just the, the roster composition. So no doubt, I agree with you. I think I look on paper, I look at that team and say, yeah, I can, there's a pathway there, but a lot has to go right. And you can't forget it's a young man's game and a lot of their core pieces uh, 98% of them are like past 30. So you wonder how that translates to the new, uh, new and improved NHL. Nick, in the Atlantic, you had referenced the Bruins, Panthers, and Lightning as as teams maybe with, with questions to answer. The three teams that a lot of people feel are knocking on the door below that cut line the last couple of years, yeah. Buffalo, Ottawa, and Detroit, you can rank them however you want. But I'm just wondering, like, when the, when the music stops and whether you want to say there are three chairs, four chairs, or five chairs to get in the playoffs, which teams do you think might still be left standing and which teams are going to grab those chairs? It's sort of funny, right? Because specifically here in Canada, like people are so quick to to write the demise of Tampa and Boston. It's like, have you watched any hockey in the last 10 years where it's like scrutiny doesn't bother these teams. Like even a couple of years ago with Kucherov and like the Stamkos injury, like they find a way to weather the storm. That's uh, you know, I know the Vasilevsky injury is a bit different, but like if there's a team and there's a coach who could figure that out, it's probably John Cooper and it's been one game and so far so good. And they surrounded well, like six shots on goal, almost midway through that game. Like we'll see long-term how it, you know, the, the reaction is to losing such a marquee piece, but like people direly in this country want those three teams or like some iteration of them to get into the playoffs. I'm not sold just yet. I think there's, there's concerns and questions with all three, obviously in between the pipes, you saw Jonas Corposalo last night, get lit up. I know he makes 37 saves, but Carolina's onto something with, I think it was the, the glove hand shelf. Um, and there's a reason why Corposalo hasn't worked out. And then they come back. And they go back to the Columbus tandem again with Anton Forsberg being the backup. It just speaks to volumes to how hard it is to find a legitimate, legitimate goaltender in this league. And we'll see 
if the Corpus Salo contract works out. And again, it's so hard to win in this league. Just because you have the best players on the ice doesn't mean necessarily you're going to win on a nightly basis. I always like to contrast and compare it to like the New York Rangers last year, pound for pound. I love that post deadline roster. Like you pick up Patrick Kane, you pick up Tarasenko. They were absolutely stacked. You had Chesterkin, you had Fox, like they're ready to win, but ultimately it comes down to chemistry. Can you put things together? I still have my reservations about Ottawa. Um, the, you know, Carolina did their thing and dissected them pretty handily last night. It's a tough building to play in nonetheless, but then you look at like Buffalo, there's some great pieces, but again, Devin Levi is really, really young in this league. He's their number one goaltender. Can he shoulder that load right off the bat history with young goalies in this league in the last 10 years suggests he can't, and there's going to be some turbulence along the way. That's just the way it is. And then you look at Detroit. I, I think they're caught in the middle. Like I love Steve Eiserman just as much as anybody else, specifically in Tampa. We know they love Stevie Y, but like this is getting a bit long in the tooth in terms of this rebuild. And there really hasn't been progression. So they pick up the Brinkett, um, the last couple of years, they get guys like cop and like, they've, they're really not seeing the ascent that we thought they would get to. And again, there's some question marks with the goaltending there. So to answer your question, I think probably one of those three teams gets in. And if you had to put money on it for me, at least I think it's Buffalo. You know, I want to go back to the lightning a little bit. And, yeah. and we talked about some of the changes they've made in the bottom six. And I think it's, it's a different look. It's going to be faster. We'll see if it's more effective in many ways. But two guys, I think, have the potential to really elevate this team, Nick, are our guys who played last year, and that was Nick Paul yeah. and Tanner Janot. What are your thoughts on on both of those players and maybe expectations coming in? Yeah, Nicky Paul is my supposed um, doppelganger. People say I look like him. I think it's the eyebrows, actually, boys. But um, pretty good start <laughs> for him. Right. We're all wondering in, in the fantasy world who is going to take that coveted role in front of the net on PP one and pretty damn good start. Right. Two goals and an assist for Nikki Paul. Yeah. Like that's the thing with any cap team. Right. Greg, like the the bottom six becomes really interchangeable and it's like a different dynamic. Right. Your your Belmars are off. Uh, you know, your Maroons are gone. Your Corey Perry. So like the next wave come in. And how are they going to factor in? Because, yeah, that, I mean, they can compare their top six to pretty much any other team in this league, and they'll probably stack up pretty well. But, like, you need those depth goals in the Stanley Cup playoffs. So they need Tanner Janot to perform like a guy who they gave up all those picks for. And so far, it's been a mixed bag. I think he's a playoff-type player, so I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. But I think in a perfect world, maybe you have him over, like, a Sherry in the top six, but you're trying to spread the wealth a bit. So Mikey Asimont's going to take a step. I love the Glenn Denning pickup. Like he's only he's always been a favorite of mine in terms of killing penalties, playing with speed and a bit of jam and tenacity. Um, so I think they're on to something, but like that is a question for this team is depth outside of a Nick Paul, who I think has been a great addition since coming over from the Ottawa Senators. But uh I'm curious just like you guys as to how that's all gonna fit because it's much different names, we'll say that. It's for sure. And you know, it's something we're gonna keep an eye on throughout. Nick, we appreciate it, buddy. Let us know when people can check you out on those airwaves. Yeah, yeah appreciate that. So I know you're uh, mostly Lightning fans listening right now. If you ever want to check in on some Leafs coverage, at the Leafs Nation 401 is uh, the YouTube channel that I do a daily show on called Leafs Morning Take. So if you'd like to subscribe, check us out. We talk about the Lightning quite a bit. And I also host the NHL Fantasy on Ice podcast, available twice a week on the NHL um, podcast platform. So make sure to check that out as per usual. I'm really, really busy, but I, I love hockey so much guys. 
we all love it, and you're passionate about it, and we appreciate you. Thank you, buddy. We appreciate Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, guys. I'm going to try to get up to uh, Tampa. I was texting Coop last night. I'm going to try to get down there for the November 18th game against the Oilers, so we'll see what happens, boys. Wonderful. We look forward to it, and hopefully we'll see you there, and you come by the booth. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right. Nick Alberga joining us. Always appreciate his uh, breakdown. Yeah. Of the league. So a couple they of takeaways. Kai Dubas fraud? Well, that that was very interesting. <laughs> I wonder, he had a couple of digs at Pittsburgh. He's like the passing of the torch from Crosby to Bedard. I was like, Greg's head is going to explode when he said that. But I thought it was interesting. He did not really put too much stock into the Oilers 8-1 loss. And he's right. Like, they will have a chance to pay back the Canucks on Saturday. And it's interesting in the Atlantic... The three teams that he said, well, you know, the Bruins have question marks and like are the Panthers the team that got to the Stanley Cup final last year? And, you know, he seems to like the Lightning, but he's acknowledging that they have questions. There are no such questions about Toronto, <laughs> which is probably the team that, that he knows the best. I have questions about Toronto. We'll see. I mean, they had to pull a rabbit out of their hat last night. That's for sure to get the win. And I, I think with Toronto, you're always going to have those questions until they yeah. break through. I don't have any questions yeah. about their top guys. Like, their top guys are among the best in the NHL, and they have shown it year in, year out, regular season after regular season. But it's a new GM, and you know they do have a lot of role players behind the Matthews and the Marners and the Tavares and Nylander and Riley and all these other guys. The rest of the lineup looks very different. I mean, Alexander Kerfoot scored against them last night. He was playing for them in the playoffs last year. Ryan O'Reilly's gone. We know. I mean, we saw him on opening night, and we saw Luke Shannon opening night. So they have a, a not insignificant amount of turnover on their team. And the big step that they wanted to take last year was to get better defensively which they did during the regular season. There's no question they took that step. But watching them in the playoffs, I thought they defended better in 2022 against the Lightning than they did in 2023, despite winning that series, or I should say despite losing the first series. They won the second series, but then they went out in five to the Panthers. So, and again, I'm not in it. <laughs> Nick is. They should be confident. This notion that, hey, we made the playoffs all these years. Last year we won a round. This year we're going to win two rounds or, or go even farther. But the reality is that the coach had to get the players to buy in to playing a certain way. And that buy-in did not get them more than just one playoff win. And we have said this, Eli, uh, we have said this Greg, in terms of how you want to play. It's a lot more fun to play offense than defense. So... Let's see if the Leafs can kind of replicate what they did last year. And I think that that right now is an unanswered question. Or are they going to go back to run and gun? Last night was run and gun. Question. Yeah, it last was, night was, was. Well, I mean, they badly outshot Montreal. But they gave up five goals last year. Yep. Or last night. Last year, they were doing much better in that regard. Yep. Makes sense. Appreciate Nick hopping on. Partner, you're going to be traveling, right? So yeah. Gonna, we'll pre-tape tomorrow. We'll pre-tape. We'll do something. We got to get We'll, we'll take a look at what want. Detroit does tonight against New Jersey. Yeah. 
New Jersey, a lot of expectations for sure. Yeah, they. so that's the thing. Like, they learned how to win last year. They did a lot of winning in the regular season, and then they won a playoff round against, like Nick said, like that was a stacked Rangers team. So good for them. So every team has its own challenge. Yep. The the Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit mix, they have to show that all of this notion, and maybe it's less about Detroit, but this notion that they are ready to take the next step, they have to show that they can do it. For a team like the Devils that took that step last year, now you got to do it again. And you're going to have probably more of a target on your back. And then for the teams Correct. that have been there, keep doing it, right? Keep yourself motivated. And maybe the last category, and Nick seems to feel the Penguins are falling into this this category, and maybe Washington too, the teams that have been top-end teams for well over a decade, can they maintain? Or last year as both those teams, the Pens and Caps, missed the playoffs. Is that kind of the first domino to fall? We'll have six months to get those answers. We will. It's a long time, but eventually we will find yeah. The correct answer. All right, partner. Appreciate you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Have a good rest of the day. You too. Thanks to Nick Alberger. Thanks to Steve Versnick. And thanks to you for listening. I am Greg Lanelli. You've been listening to Power Lunch on Lending Radio.